Hey, and welcome back into another Behind the Yellow Line. We've got a full crew tonight. Jeremy is here. Randall is here. The Cubs are not here. They are overseas in Europe getting ready for a couple of games with the St. Louis Cardinals. So lots to get to on that front. Uh, but gentlemen, something I think we can all agree with here, the good vibes continue for the Cubs. This international road trip starts with a three-game sweep against the Pirates. And just like that, the Cubs have won four consecutive series as we approach the midpoint here in June. So it's certainly gotten interesting over the last couple of weeks. You know, you always talk about a happy flight after a series win, or in this case, a sweep. Uh, the Cubs had uh, two or three times the normal happy flight length to enjoy that as they uh, they sit now in London. They've gotten their workouts in and they're getting ready to take the field at London Stadium uh, tomorrow afternoon, our time. You know what I like to talk about, Randall? I like to talk about a happy podcast, and I feel like I generally we should all be in a pretty happy space right now uh, with the way that this uh, team is playing. I always like to come on and, you know, after a good win or after a good stretch of ball and, and four straight series wins, six of those against the Pirates. But whatever, you got to win the games. You got to win. And they won six straight against the Pirates. And then they beat, you know, two pretty good teams in the Giants and the Orioles. So, yeah, Cubs right now, they're playing maybe the best ball of the season right now. I think you could argue it's pulled them within two games of 500 as we record this tonight on the Friday going into this London series. The Cubs are 36 and 38. They're just four games out of first place. The only thing that sort of stifled a little bit of the excitement about this great baseball is the Reds have been incredible for the last two weeks. They've won 12 straight ball games. They've pulled ahead as the first place team in the division. But I think the important thing here is the Cubs are very much in it in this division. You look at the Cardinals, nine and a half games back. That's not where the Cubs are right now. They're four back. They've got a two-game set against the Cardinals. And it just feels like everything is going right. They're scoring runs. The starting pitching has been good. And the black hole that had been the bullpen most of May has been really good the last couple of weeks. It's just really a nice mix right now on the north side. Yeah, the bullpen is stabilized. You've got some guys who have managed to slot themselves in to certain roles and it's taking effect. And Ronan, like you said, really the only Paul over things right now isn't anything to do with the Cubs. It's these damn Reds. I said, I don't know if it was last episode or the episode before, it feels like if one team in this division is able to have a good two or three weeks, that might put the division away. Now, I don't think the division is over by any stretch, but it's really annoying that the Cincinnati Reds of all goddamn teams have managed to have that good two weeks and they are atop the division because of it. It's really annoying. Well, I mean, I would say the Cubs have had a pretty good two weeks, and they they've, have. Gone back, they've gone back into this division. I think, uh, uh, I'm not sure if it was when, it was just me and you, uh, Randall, a few weeks ago, but we talked about the fact that uh, we were basically on the brink, I said. It was like a season on the brink. There was the moment Cubs were playing really poorly. Uh, we were going on this road trip, this West Coast road trip, late May, um, and I just felt like, you know, where are we going to be after this road trip, right? This West Coast road trip. And it didn't start off great in, in Los Angeles. I mean, it was okay in San Diego. But then since then, like, they've just played up. They got back into it. They got back into it. And that that's huge. You get Cody Bellinger back. You get back, back on this run. Justin Steele back, too, we'll talk about. And it's just great. You know, you talked about two weeks getting back, two weeks getting back into this division. Because the Cubs are back in it now, in my opinion. Yeah, you know, in fact, we titled that episode Season on the Brink. Like, you know, it's like saying the name of the movie in the movie. Doc Brown looks at the camera and says, we have to get back to the future. John Feinstein uh, book. 
but yeah, the things were teetering on the edge at that point, and they've picked it up since. And, you know, the only thing that makes it annoying is that the Cubs have had this great two weeks, and they've done it at the exact same time as the Reds have had an even better two weeks. So it's annoying, but keep winning your games, and it'll all take care of itself. It also, for me, feels like it's been forever since the Cubs have played, right? Because they had that early game Wednesday, the getaway game in Pittsburgh, no game Thursday, no game Friday. And it's so rare during the season that you're going to get consecutive off days unless there's rain or something like that that postpones a game. So it just feels like it's been a long time since we've seen the Cubs play. They've got the two here against the Cardinals in London, and then there's just two more stands before the All-Star break. You come home for six, it's all playoff teams the rest of the way here. The Phillies, the Guardians, the Brewers, the Yankees leading into the All-Star break. So while they've had a little bit of a breather to acclimate to going to Europe, this is a very important stretch of baseball now over the next two and a half weeks for this team. Yeah, and you just hope the travel coming back from London isn't too big of a deal. They've got the one day off after what is a 3 p.m. local time game in London on Sunday. And then, of course, you have to make the transatlantic flight. You have to come back to Chicago. You get your day off, and then it's 13 straight games until the All-Star break. And you mentioned, uh, you know, don't typically go this long. Uh, We sit here just after 9.30 Central Time Friday night. The Cubs game ended around 2.30 Wednesday. We've gone about 50, 54 hours at this point without baseball. Two straight days and another six hours. That's uh, that's atypical for for MLB. So it does feel like it's been a long time since they played. It kind of feels like you just mentioned the uh, All-Star break to me. That's kind of like what it feels mini, like. It's mini like, All-Star break. Yeah, yeah, it's like this little break. And it's, it's also kind of interesting to me that the Cubs have two off days on the way to London. But then coming back, they only have one off day. That, it, that, is, it is a little odd, yes. That, that feels a little weird. But, uh, yeah, you know, uh, it, it, I, well, how do you feel about this, though, just to get on to the Cubs are playing well. You know, they're playing. They've had this really good two weeks. We mentioned it. And then you have this kind of huge trip to London in the midst of all of this. Like, does that throw you off? Is that something you're worried about? Or like, cause that, that breaks up kind of your routine a little bit with these two off days, you're playing well, you're kind of in it. And now you're, you got to go out for this event. That's so different than normal baseball season. Yeah. You know, Jeremy, I have been thinking about that. I don't want to, I don't want to put it out there. I don't want to manifest it, but I am a little worried. It's going to throw them off. You have two transatlantic flights. You've had two days off uh, since playing a game. I am a little worried about it. you know, I don't want to be too negative. I don't want to catastrophize, but yeah, I am a little bit concerned. Um, so, you know, you, you hope they're just able to acclimate to London, play their games, come back, and you hope it doesn't throw them off. You know, the old adage, some people see the glass half empty, some people see the glass half full. The Cubs fans, we worry, when is the glass going to tip over? Well, you know, I'd like to think that the two days off followed by the one day off coming back is because, you know, Major League Baseball has run studies on the impact of, you know, cross-world travel and jet lag and things like that. But I think it's pretty obvious the reason there's the extra day off in London is all the photo ops and things, the the marketing, the public relations aspect that has really blown up here on Friday the 23rd. Uh, so I think that probably has more to do with than actually what these athletes are going through. Oh, absolutely. I don't give MLB the slightest bit of credit to say that they've studied this, that, and the other thing. You, you need your you need your time for Ian Happ and Christopher Morel to be riding around London on the double-decker bus, which, to be fair, that's good entertainment. I'm entertained by it. And, you know, give the players the day to walk around the city. Uh, I'm sure you hit it right on the head. The If the answer, if the question is, did MLB make an informed decision on this? The answer is absolutely not. If the question is, did they make a decision based on PR and what gives them the most photo ops and the most content? The answer is absolutely so. 
you know, something too that I've heard players mention about cross-country flights, and that is different than going across the ocean and, and putting yourself in Europe, but it's not the first game after the break that's tough. It's that second or third game where you really start to feel it. So Cubs fans maybe should be thinking about that a little bit. You've got the day off then on the 26th. You come home. It's three night games with the Phillies at Wrigley Field, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, uh, a day game, a night game, and a day game with the Guardians at Wrigley Field. And then maybe what helps the Cubs is that, yeah, they're starting a road trip, which brings them into the the all-star break, but the first four games are in Milwaukee. So they don't have to get back on another plane. They don't have to have to do a long flight across the country. It's a 90 minute drive. They knock out four games there, fly to New York. And that's the first half of the season. So I, I think that there is reasons that Cubs fans should be a little bit concerned about jet lag. What's the impact going to be, but this is about as good as it gets for the Cubs and that they come home, they get a bunch of night games and then the road trip starts 90 miles away. Sure. It could be a lot worse. You could have to come back to London and, you know, in theory, MLB could make you then play a, a bunch more games on the road, which I'm sure I don't think they would do because the players, I think, would have a lot to say about that if they don't get to come home after London. But yes, it could be a lot worse with the schedule coming off of the uh, the London trip. Yeah, uh, just for me, I just want to say it's, I what concerns me a little bit. And obviously we want to be we're in this good spot right now. It's kind of like the re- routine a little bit because it's so different. It's just a different event. You know, you're, mm-hmm. you're not really going out and doing public publicity events before a game. You're not like the, the ballpark's going to be very different. We'll talk about that later, but you know, everything is just so different and come back. And so it's almost not as much the travel for me. It's just like the breakup of the routine that kind of yeah. concerns me. Well, baseball players, athletes in general, creatures of habit. Maybe the other side of it is maybe it's nice for them after sure. you get to this point in the year you've been through the grind. Let's mix it up a little bit. Get another break here in two weeks with the All-Star break. And then it's the stretch, you know, into August and, and September and what is hopefully going to be a division push for the Cubs here. And I think that that brings us into another important note that's come out of London here. So you've got Cubs ownership. You've got broadcasters. They're they're making the rounds in London. They're going to the pubs. They're doing these public speaking PR events. And one of the headlines today is the question was, hey, Tom Ricketts, are the Cubs buyers right now? Two games under, just a couple of games out of first place. And he said, yeah, of course, look at where we are. This is a team that should be buying. That's promising. I'll tell you what, guys, three weeks ago, I didn't think this team was going to be buyers. It's definitely yeah, you know, promising. I, I, I never put a whole lot of stock in what anyone says publicly do and then I'll react to don't don't you know don't make me worry about saying versus doing but you know he could he could have hedged that a lot stronger he could have said well you know I'm, I'm not sure we'll see how it plays out but no he was bullish on the Cubs and he said they are buyers so to whatever extent you can put value on what he's saying to a, a group of people who travel to London to I guess hear him talk which I know they didn't travel to London to hear him talk but whatever value you can put on that, it, it's better than some things he could have said. So take it for what it is right now. And that's a positive. Yeah. Well, he he did say we're, I, I said we're buyers right now. Right. Which, he did hedge uh, it with right now, right now, which, but to be honestly, like you look at this team, look where it is. And, and we're coming off as we've mentioned before, you know, a good two weeks, but they're two under 500, they're three and a half back. So I, it kind of makes their four and a half back in, in the wild card. Well, they're actually four back after the Reds win, but it kind of makes me confident that like, okay, if we're in this race, if if we're in it in a month, if we're three and a half back, I think you know Tom wants to buy. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, they're not going to like sell out the farm or anything. They'll probably make minor moves, but I don't think they're going to be selling. That's really my big deal. It's like don't be sellers. 
I don't want to be sellers. I don't care. I, I I really don't want to be sellers. I think three years of being sellers in a month would be really bad. I think, you know, we talked about selling Strowman. We talked about, you know, Bellinger, obviously, if they're out of it, it makes sense for him to go. But, like, I, I you don't want that kind of, like, that second half of the season where it's kind of just winding down. It's We've done it. Yeah, you can find the things to make exciting, exciting about it. We talked about it in the past. But you want to feel like you're in it. You want to feel like your team's going for it. And so, for me, I don't – I, I want to be buyers. Yeah. And I do think they will buy if they're in the race, but like, I just, I'm confident that Tom, it doesn't seem like Tom wants to be uh, sellers. So that's what makes me, I I'm enjoying it. But of course, as he said right now, so like, you know, if they lose, if they're, we saw what happened in 2021, they were in like first place in this moment and, and turned around quickly. But if they're in the hunt, you know, within five games, I think they will be buyers. Yeah. That tells you what the last couple of seasons have been like, where the bar is set at not selling in July. Uh, and it's a low bar to clear, but maybe they can clear it this year and you, you can't, you can't jump way over the bar until you clear the bar. So baby steps. Jeremy right now. And yes, your point there is a lot can change in the next two weeks. A lot can change in the next four and a half weeks leading up to the trade deadline. Um, right now, the single biggest need for the Cubs is what? Well, I, I honestly, I think right now the single biggest need is is first base. Uh, they need some power. They need a guy who can handle first base, and we hope it's Matt Mervis. Maybe he can show it coming up. But I, you know, we we've seen Trey Mancini out there. So far, it hasn't been great. He's bat has come around a little bit, but man, I don't know if he's even playable at first. Like he almost destroyed Mark Leiter <laughs> Jr., one of our better relievers, a couple days ago, and that was a huge spot where they had that error and two runs came in, and so. For me, that that's like a big need because I can you can I can you can see all different spots on the field where they are. I mean, third base too a little bit, but first base, third base. I would say the corner, those corner spots. Get a power bat in here. That that's where I'm I'm looking for for a uh, to buy. And Mervis unfortunately has been out of the Iowa lineup the last couple of nights with a bruised thumb. Hopefully that's not serious. Hopefully he'll be back in there soon and doesn't linger. Jeremy, I agree with you. Third base was the position that came to mind for me, just because you can find a first baseman a lot of different places. And you have hopefully a guy who you can come up and and just kind of let ride with it. But third base is the position for me, whether that's putting Morell there full time, which I think Jed has said they're considering, whether that's calling up a guy like Jake Slaughter, who can play all three infield positions and has had a pretty good offensive season for Iowa. You need a third baseman in there. I don't know that that's an easy position to get at the midseason trade point, especially if you rightly are not going to give up a, a huge a huge uh, a number of players from the farm. But you need a third baseman. Now, I do think the Cubs have internal options, like I said, so I think they can fill that. But that's where my mind went initially is third base, is you need somebody there who's not uh, Miles Mastroboni or Nick Madrigal or an injured and ineffective Patrick Wisdom. Yeah, and I think the uh, veil has sort of come off Patrick Wisdom. It's been really bad, and he's lost even in the field. I mean, and they've tried putting him out in left field. That's not going to work. I, I think it's a bit ironic that this Cubs team really prided itself in the offseason on we're going to invest in our defense. So they go out, they get Dansby, they move Nico to second, you get Bellinger, as a center fielder, of course, he's been hurt now playing a little bit of first base. But you're thinking, okay, we're going to have really good middle infield defense. 
And then you get on the infield here in the corners are just a total disaster. First base has been awful. Third base has been awful. Um, yeah, I want to see what Morel can do there every day, but I'm not convinced that guy's an everyday major league third baseman. So it's curious. Like, this team definitely needs some upgrades offensively, but the corner infield defense, too, has been just a black hole. Um, even Mervis uh, was struggling in his time at first base. Now, one thing about Mervis, though, I do want to say is the stats weren't good. We know that. But a lot of the underlying metrics seem to indicate that the numbers should have been better. He was hitting the ball hard. He was a bit unlucky is maybe what I'm trying to say there. So a chance to get his confidence up a little bit in Iowa, maybe work on that defense too, and maybe he comes back a rejuvenated player. You see that time and time again where a guy struggles their first stint in the majors, they go down to the minors, and they come back a better player. So maybe that's an offering here for Matt Mervis over the next few weeks. Yeah, and we've seen it with a couple Cubs uh, players in the past. Rizzo, obviously, Baez went back down. Schwarber went back down at one point. Hap went back down. So we've seen all, all, all that go in. Hopefully, Mervis can come back up this season. But, you know, speaking of Morrell, like, he, they haven't played Morrell at third base this entire uh, season or really in the field that much. Uh, he got a little bit at second base. So to me, it seems like they're concerned about his defense at third base. Like, I don't, I don't believe that he's – he's really in their plans to play third base because we've seen what they've thrown out there at third base, Nick Madrigal, and they haven't put Morell out there. Right. So it doesn't really seem that's kind of like the direction that they want to go. So that's what has me concerned about Morell playing third base. The fact that they haven't even tried it yet, but I could see them kind of like buying and selling like, right. You, you get like one piece here and then maybe you move off like a Nick Madrigal, a, a guy on the team or something like, so I could see them doing multiple kind of things to uh, at the deadline. That's what the Brewers did last season, where they sold off a piece like Josh Hader, but they still attempted to compete the rest of the way. And yeah, Jeremy, it is very telling that with a need at third base, where you've been rotating some kind of light hitting utility guys through there, that the Cubs still have not played Morrell at that position. So it tells you that they, like you said, maybe don't feel the strongest in his his footwork. We know the arm is there. We know the range in there. It's been a footwork thing. It's been a an accuracy on his throwing. Uh, thing with him. So it does tell you a lot that they haven't tried him there. But again, you have a need there and you're trying to compete. It might be time to throw him back out there and have him learn with your infield coaching staff and then do the best he can. You know, a little bit off topic here, but just talking about bad defense, uh, tough night or day, I guess the other day was a day game for Kyle Schwarber in Philadelphia. I don't know if you guys saw that out in left field, just uh, charging a ball, completely missed it, dropped it. And if there's a fan base in Major League Baseball that doesn't really tolerate their players making errors like that, it's probably Philadelphia. So uh, I, what I found sort of humorous about it, uh, and, and I'm generally sort of pulling for the Phillies. I'd rather the Phillies be in the playoffs than the Marlins, for example. It's just a team, there's a lot of guys in that Phillies team that I like, but uh multiple plays after Schwarber drops the ball, the Philadelphia camera TV crews are just zoomed in on him. Like anytime someone on Atlanta would get a base hit or a home run or something after it, the camera goes right back on Schwarber. So a uh, bit of a tough stretch for the former Cubs left fielder and catcher who's struggled a bit offensively and also very much so in the field there in Philly. And the Philadelphia television booth, uh, I think later in that same inning where it was ruled an error, or it was ruled a base hit, and they said, no, 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 that has to be ruled an error. There's no level at which that is not ruled an error. I'm like, wow, you're really going in on your left fielder here, saying, no, 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 he, he that was an error. He biffed that ball. And, boy, it's a tough place to play. But, you know, all the best to Kyle, and I hope he, I hope he's in left field for the Phillies this, uh, next week, this coming week, I guess, and I hope he 
makes lots of uh, similar mistakes. So all the best to you, Kyle, but you're coming into play my team. So, uh, you know, all bets are off for three days. Right. And, uh, you know, I mean, they're probably trying to protect their pitcher there because he got tagged for some runs and then they ended up changing that uh, ruling today uh, to an error. And it went from five to, I believe, five unearned runs uh, against the pitcher. So, uh, yeah, that was that's it's not good out there. And Kyle, I mean, my opinion, he really hasn't been a left fielder for a long time, uh, six six or so years. But, uh, you know, as you said, hey, I'm not going to say the Cubs should acquire Kyle Schwarber, but it would be nice to have some power bat like that yeah. at first base or on the DH spot. And, you know, what's his contract? He's got like two years left, I think. So uh, who knows? Maybe. Well, one thing that, yeah. Yeah. And uh, that is definitely something that has changed as a Cubs fan or National League fan is the roster flexibility that now pops up because of it. I mean, the Phillies have a number of interesting bats, but they're not all good defensive players necessarily. So they're trying to figure out, who fits in those pieces. And it's a similar position that you, you want the Cubs to be in too, and that you've got too many bats and not enough slots to put them in the lineup. Jeremy, you are correct. Kyle Schwarber is in year two of a four-year deal. He would still be under contract for 2024 and 2025 at 20 million per year. So, you know, crunch the numbers, Jed, see if you can fit that in. Yeah. So what needs to happen is the Cubs need to knock out the Phillies out of this playoff run. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming they're not going to end up being sellers, but knock them out next week. Hopefully they go down because the Braves are like running away with that division, knock them out of the wild card spot. And then who knows? Maybe the Phillies want to get rid of, you know, ease up some money, uh, get rid of the Cubs, get him because he would look very good in this lineup. I don't want him in the field, but he, the Cubs got some open DH spots. They needed some yeah. guys to get power. Well, something that's been fueling this really good stretch of Cubs baseball has been really good starting pitching. And we saw that in Pittsburgh as well. All three guys, Drew Smiley was really good. We had Marcus Stroman continuing to be top of the class in the National League in terms of starting pitching. But maybe a guy that has surprised me more than anybody this year for the Cubs, and that is Kyle Hendricks. A couple weeks back, he had that eight innings, that shutout effort over eight innings against the San Francisco Giants. He hasn't really let up since. Five innings against Baltimore, six and a third, just one earned run allowed in that 8-3 win in Pittsburgh back on the 21st. That was Wednesday. Kyle Hendricks has looked so good over the last two weeks, and it totally changes what this starting rotation looks like when it's like that old Kyle Hendricks is back. We were expecting nothing out of Kyle Hendricks this season, nothing. We didn't know if he'd be back. We didn't know if he'd be effective. He was shaky his for a few starts. It was a lot of soft contact that was falling in. And then he writes the ship with that fantastic start in San Francisco. And with Hayden Wisniewski having not panned out so far, with Justin Steele having missed a couple of starts, Kyle Hendricks has stepped in and he's filled that void more than any of us were expecting. So, you know, we talk a lot about players not performing up to expectations. Here you have Kyle Hendricks, who is well overperforming what we expected, even in this short sample. And it's been very uplifting at a time where the Cubs have needed good starting pitching. Right. And, and you know, he, a couple of ballparks, though, they have do have some big uh, outfield dimensions in San Francisco and uh, uh, Pittsburgh he's pitched in. But, uh, yeah, I think he's looked great. I think, you know, the the – the average exit velocity, and it's it's you know only a handful of starts that he's been back, but his average exit velocity he's in, right now he's in the ninety second percentile of all hmm. pitchers in Major League Baseball. Like if you're not getting hit hard, 
<laughs> like he could get through that, uh, you know, because obviously, you know, his fastball velocity is not going to be up there. Is all those types of metrics, the scouting metrics, kind of. They're not. He's not going to strike a ton of guys out, but he's not going to. If he doesn't walk anybody and he gets soft contact, the, if you, we see more towards the Kyle Hendricks, I don't think we're going to see the 2016 Kyle Hendricks, but we see start more towards that Kyle Hendricks. That's a huge bonus for this team, especially when we weren't counting on him at all. And we talked about, you know, you mentioned Ronan that this team was built on defense, right? Uh, this team is kind of built more like, in my opinion, the 2015 team, the 2016 team, which had great defenses, which had great kind of catchers behind the plate. And I think Miguel Amayas caught him very well. We talked about it in San Francisco, and I thought he did a great job in Pittsburgh as well. And so maybe this Kyle Hendricks, we start to see a little bit of a resurgence, just like Marcus Stroman. You know, we built this with the sinker behind him. He's getting that great defense. Kyle Hendricks can pitch to some defense now. And so we're going to hopefully we could see a little bit of that resurgence. Like we didn't count about on him at all entering this year, but that that's a huge boost. If Kyle Hendricks is going to be anything approximating a legitimate uh, starting pitcher in the major league baseball. And Jeremy, you mentioned uh, the, I guess, high percentile, the good percentile that his average exit velocity is in. There can be a downside to that. How many infield singles do the Cubs have in the series against the Pirates at Wrigley? How many do they have against the series against the Pirates at PNC? The downside of soft contact is if you don't have an infield that can convert that soft contact to outs, which the Pirates don't. They are not a good defensive team. And that's, you know, combine that with the Cubs not making hard contact and you get a whole lot of infield hits, some at very key points. So the downside to that is you get a whole lot of infield singles and the Pirates are allowing those or were allowing those, whereas the Cubs were not because they were able to convert those batted balls into outs. And again, that's why the defense behind Hendricks is so important. And that's a huge part of him having been effective. So it's a guy who pitches to contact like that combined with a defense that is designed around pitchers who pitch to contact. And you're seeing those work together in concert and help give the Cubs success. Yeah, yeah, we'll see if it continues here in London. Uh, Cubs with two games against the Cardinals. Uh, afternoon game for those in the central time zone Saturday, an early start, 9-10 in the morning Sunday. A couple of national broadcasts. That gets you excited, Randall. Fox has it Saturday. ESPN with the broadcast Sunday. Did I see that Kay is doing the broadcast on Sunday? Like they don't have an actual what did I see on that front? I see no, you riddle. you are correct. It is Michael K on play by play with Alex Rodriguez at his side in that broadcast. Whereas the oh, man. the Saturday Fox broadcast is uh, Joe Davis and John Smoltz. And boy, I can't begin to tell you the extent to which I will not have either broadcast uh, audible in my in my viewing area. That's what you've got the radio for. Fortunately, uh, Pat and Ron and I guess Zach are over there. Uh, they will be providing the local call. I will not be listening to either of those television broadcasts. That's awful. Do better, MLB. Jesus Christ. Well, does it sync up okay for you, Randall? If you, you know, uh, I will, and... it not typically, and I, I imagine especially not so with it having to come from overseas. But you know what? I will absolutely make that sacrifice. I would much rather have an unsynchronized broadcast, but not throwing being throwing the remote at the television every inning versus having to listen to Michael Kay and Alex Rodriguez call a baseball game. There are so many things I would rather do than that. So I'm not going to do that. Life is too short to listen to Michael Kay and Alex Rodriguez call a ball game if you don't have to. Yeah. Do we know if they're actually sending them there or is it a remote broadcast? Uh, So Pat, Pat and Coomer and Zaidman were at the fan event in London 
the the fan rally they've been promoting on the broadcast for a week now uh, is advertising appearances. And there's video of Pat. Now that I think about it, there's video of Pat uh, standing at the the bar in London. So they are in London, and I can't imagine they are there to not call the games. I, I met the national yeah, guys, I, like I, or like the oh, ESPN a, crew. Are they actually sending like like would ESPN rather fly K out there than Boog or like what's the deal? That's what I'm curious about. You know, that's a good question, and I don't have the answer to that. Um, I would imagine at least ESPN probably sent their guys to London, but we'll we'll find out. The video will tell me. I'm not going to listen to any of them, but the video will tell me if they're actually in the stadium or if they do a, a split screen and then maybe they can just do their baseball podcast over the uh, the video of the game the way they did when they were calling games in the KBO during the pandemic. Yeah, I thought you were going with that, uh, those national broadcasters, and my guess, and I don't know anything, so don't put any weight in what I'm saying. But uh, I just feel like... Michael Case, they're probably doing it remotely because I assume the Yankees are playing a game on Sunday, right? And Michael Case is going to be broadcasting the Yankees game. So I don't know. That's just my guess. But I like I could see, you know, the Fox guys being out there, but not the ESPN guys. But I'm just guessing that. I, I don't know. But I it seems weird to me that the Michael K would be go all the way to England when they're I, I know Joe Davis does Dodgers, but he does more things. Michael K doesn't really do that as much. UK, UK refusing to let A-Rod into the country on account of him being a colossal wanker. Well, uh, this is not the first time this organization has played baseball games in London. Sort of, right? This is the first regular season games overseas. But Randall, what's the backstory there of uh, a previous iteration of the Chicago Cubs playing overseas? Yeah, so this great article written by Jordan Bastian, who, of course, does a great job of covering the Cubs for MLB.com. In the winter of uh, 1888 to 1889, Chicago White Stockings, the franchise that would become the Cubs eventually, their owner, Albert Spaulding, pulled off uh, an international barnstorming tour that went throughout the winter and had the White Stockings back in the United States in time for opening day. They traveled the world. They went from Hawaii. They played in Australia and New Zealand over Christmas and New Year's. And then they traveled to Italy. They traveled to the United Kingdom. They stopped in Egypt um, and they they played these international games. They wanted to play a game at the Colosseum in Rome and they invited the Pope to come watch. And neither one of those ended up playing out. Um, but, you know, it was a very different time. And there's this great story, a great paragraph from the article. Of course, they were traveling by uh, ship across the English Channel and the weather was not favorable. And everyone was huddled together in the first cabin, uh, quoting here, Chicago outfielder Jimmy Ryan, some singing, some joking, but the greater majority praying. Uh, and so the Cubs or the franchise that would become the Cubs does have a distant history of having played this kind of barnstorming tour overseas, which I had no idea of. So this great article by Jordan Bastian, we will retweet it from our Twitter account. That's at uh, BTYL podcast. You can look for it there. And it's a, a great short read as the Cubs get ready to play their first regular season game in London. I think this is a lot of fun. I mean, you know, Jeremy, you were saying earlier, is this going to mess up the routine? Is this going to maybe have a negative impact? You talk about uh, flying across the world and the jet lag and all the things that go into it. But uh, I love this. It's it's a great opportunity to showcase one of the great rivalries in Major League Baseball. And it's part of what is going to be an expansion of Major League Baseball in Europe. We're hearing about a Paris series possibly next up in line. We already know uh, two National League East teams are going to be playing in London next year. So I think it's great. It's good for the sport. Every other sport is doing this, not just professional sports. We're seeing Big Ten football games in places 
like Ireland. You're, you're seeing an expansion of American sports internationally, just like we're seeing international sports teams and leagues trying to grow their brands here in the United States where there's a lot of money towards sports. So I think this is fun. And how cool that the Cubs and the Cardinals get to do this. Of course, this should have happened a few years ago. The pandemic got in the way, but it is going to be fun to get up early Sunday morning and Saturday and see the Chicago Cubs playing baseball in Europe against those dreaded Cardinals. Yeah, the Big Ten going to be playing football in California. That's uh, really international compared to their typical borders. Uh, the games will, of course, be played in London Stadium. It was originally built for the 2012 Olympics, and now it's uh, primarily a soccer venue with, obviously, other uses, concerts and such. Now, they have changed the dimensions since the 2019 series because the ball was just flying out of there. It is still 330 feet down the lines, but the alleys have been moved from 382 feet in 2019, they've been moved five feet back to 387 feet to the alleys. It's still short to center field. It's only 392 feet, but that is up from 385 feet. So it's a small ballpark. It would behoove Steele and Stroman to keep the ball down. And hopefully uh, Adam Wainwright and Jack Flaherty are unable to do the same. And the Cubs can take advantage of these cozy dimensions out there in uh, jolly old London. Well, we know that uh, Marcus Stroman has the ability to keep the ball down. He does it pretty well at Wrigley Field, so hopefully he can do it over there in London. And I agree with you, Ronan. I I, I do agree that uh, it's a cool event. It's it's a cool thing. Uh, I'm glad the Cubs are a part of it. I like the Cubs being marquee team and being, no pun intended, and being uh, a part of all of these type of events that they have been a part of. Um, but yeah, you know, I just worry for the player's perspective of sure. breaking it all up and everything, but yeah, it's pretty cool. And, uh, you know, you sp- talked about big 10, uh, football going to Ireland. It mm-hmm. does say in this article that the Cubs in 1889, when they went on this trip, they went to uh, Ireland and they kissed the Blarney stone. So I thought you might. Oh, wow. That. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that, that's fun. Um, something though, that I will say about London stadium, and there's a lot of really, unique and cool soccer facilities all across the world. I think this place is ugly, right? Like it is modern. It sort of looks like an ashtray from above. I don't love the views inside the ballpark. And when you retrofit a soccer stadium for baseball, you know there's going to be some difficulties when it comes to sight lines and things like that. And you work through all of that just to make the event happen. But I'm of the belief, I I critique stadiums in Major League Baseball, the NFL, whatever. This is an ugly stadium that they've constructed in London. I'm not that impressed by it, guys. Yeah, you know, it's not terribly aesthetically pleasing. And, you know, you you figure they originally built it because you had to host Olympic opening ceremonies. You had to be able to march the the parade of nations through. You had to be able to do all the pyrotechnics and everything that comes with that. So it's very much not a baseball stadium, but you know, I just consider it fortunate that they, there aren't any really quirky angles. The outfield is pretty straightforward. It's a pretty normal outfield. Um, You know, there's no real quirky angles. There's nothing like a major league outfielder is going to have an issue with. And that's good for me. Apparently the turf is very, very springy. They showed video Mm -hmm. of Seiya Suzuki testing what the ball is going to be like if it hits it with any kind of velocity. And apparently it's very springy. He was throwing it at the ground. It was bouncing a good seven, eight feet in the air. So hopefully they've taken their outfield and their infield and they know how to react to it. But I guess just that they're able to put a normal dimension, normally shaped, major league outfield out there that no one's going to run into a corner or whatever. I'll consider that the win and they only have to deal with it for two games. I I thought it was a little bit of a bummer. That's an artificial playing surface, right? Because there is grass in the stadium and, and major league baseball, they want to make these fields 
retrofitted as efficiently as possible and as you know professional as possible. But I can't imagine that temporary turf like that is really going to play all that well. You know, it's too bad that they couldn't play in the actual grass pitch. Yeah, you know, I don't know what the markings are like for a soccer field, but I don't watch soccer. But yeah, that would have been neat to see whatever soccer markings are like running through the outfield. Reminds you of... Um, you know, watching baseball in the multi-use facilities here. It reminds you of watching a, a Raiders game and there's the dirt infield right at the 50-yard the line. So yeah, that would have been neat. But, you know, I'm sure they want it as uniform as possible and they don't want to damage the the permanent grass there or whatever. Right, and it's the stadium for uh, uh, West Ham United, uh, the uh, EPL team, English Premier League team. Uh, that's been up and down for a few times. But, you know, there's a, there's a bunch of stadiums in London. And so it's neither of the stadiums that the... Chicago Bears played in the two times they played recently in London, where they played at Wembley Stadium against Tampa Bay Buccaneers, which is, of course, the main, I feel like, stadium in in London in the soccer world. It's Wembley Stadium. That's the place you want to go to. And, of course, they also played at, at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium uh, when they played the Raiders a couple years ago, which is uh, Tottenham Hotspur, obviously a different uh, English Premier League team. So. Uh, there's a lot of different stadiums all over there. And this one, as Randall mentioned, was built for the Olympics. It held the opening and closing ceremonies. It also held the track and field. So I think that's kind of why you see like that circular because they're running track and field there. I don't know. That's just my guess. So, uh, but yeah, it looks kind of like those kind of old cookie cutter stadiums of the 60s and 70s that were these multi-purpose venues. Obviously, the design is a little different from the outside because it's much more modern and from you know, sixty years late, fifty years later, but uh, that's just kind of the feeling you get from above. It's like, okay, it's a multi-purpose venue. It's got this circular kind of cookie cutter look to it that uh, that now none of baseball really is going to have in the future, especially once the uh, you know the A's move out of uh, Oakland. Uh, you know, cookie cutter ham ham cutter. If it's home of West Ham, it cut the ham into slices. Uh, Jeremy, you say Tottenham Hotspur. That's a different franchise. I, I believe you. You could have told me they were the same franchise and I would have believed you. So I'll, I'll take your word on that. Oh, yeah. Well, speaking of stadiums and ballparks, this does not impact the Chicago Cubs, but I think this is pretty cool. And it's actually a discussion that we had two, two and a half years ago on this podcast. We were talking about where else can Major League Baseball play games in the next couple of years. Um, the oldest continuous ballpark or the, the oldest professional baseball stadium in the United States is going to get a ball game next year. And it's in Birmingham, Alabama, 113 years old. It's called Rickwood field. Babe Ruth has played there. I saw pictures actually of him hanging out by the dugout there. Willie Mays played there. And next season in June, it's going to be a regular season contest between the San Francisco giants and the St. Louis Cardinals. So major league baseball, like other professional sports are really going all in here on let's come up with unite unique creative sites, whether they're international or domestic here, and let's put some games in these places. You know, a, a regular game between the giants and the Cardinals June of 2024 would generate interest in the Midwest and out in the Bay area, but nationally, you're not going to get much interest. This is going to be a must-see event next year when that old ballpark lights up. It's older than Wrigley Field. It's older than Fenway Park. should be really cool to see Rickwood Field hold a Major League Baseball game next season. Yeah, yeah the choice of teams aside, this is kind of the replacement for the, the Field of Dreams uh, game, or it is the Field of Dreams game, but not being played at the Field of Dreams complex as that's being renovated. And, you know, maybe, you know, it's good to get around a little bit. You can only take so many pictures in yeah. the corn. Uh, the ballpark was built in 1910. So like you said, it is one of the oldest ballparks in the United States, the oldest continuous ballpark in the United States. It's been um, upgraded or restored gradually 
over the years. And that will be, I think, a really neat venue to watch a ball game at. So, uh, you know, I don't give MLB a credit for a whole lot, nor should I, but that's still a neat venue to put a major league game at. And I think that will make for some very good imagery when that game does come around next year. I agree. I think it will be a neat venue. I'm, I'm going to be honest. I'm surprised that it is the Cardinals playing in this game. I'm surprised not it's not the Braves. Yeah, exactly. I would think the Braves, you know, obviously have a, a built-in fan base down there, kind of closer to them. You know, Iowa, uh, you had the Cubs and the White Sox were probably two teams. I mean, I guess because said the Twins were closer, but uh, I, I don't know. I just, the Cardinals just seemed like a weird team to me because they don't, I, I know they're big all over, but they don't have, give me like that Southern feel where South, San Francisco, you know, obviously has a connection with Willie Mays and some other players from down there, um, which I'm sure the Cardinals do have in their history as well. But I just, I figured it'd be the Braves. Yeah, Cardinals give you that Southern feel, but maybe in the wrong way. Oh, uh, but I wonder how the folks in London are going to take to those St. Louis Cardinals fans invading their city here this weekend. Um, it also has me thinking that old ballpark in Evansville, Bossy Field, which opened around 1915 or so. Um, I don't know. Maybe we see a, a Guardians Reds game or something like that there in southern Indiana in the next couple of years. Uh, I think this is a great idea, though. It's a ton of fun. Uh, generally, I don't like franchises moving cities. I've been very clear on this podcast how I feel about Oakland but if you want to take a regular season game or a, or a series and put it in these unique historic ballparks all across the country I think it's great for TV it's great for interest in the sport and it does break up that monotony of 162 game season so uh, yeah I don't know that I would be watching a regular season Giants Cardinals game but I'm going to check it out if it's in this old ballpark in Birmingham yeah it'll be worth it'll be worth watching an inning or two just for the imagery definitely well, it's gonna be cool Elsewhere across Major League Baseball, we touched on this a little bit. How real is this Reds team? You know, I hope they're not real at all. They won, I believe, 11 to 10 tonight. Is that correct? Uh, So they're probably going to need more pitching, but goddamn, that offense just keeps scoring runs for them. And a lot of teams have been content to roll over for them. The Rockies went up on them uh, in their last game on Wednesday, and the Reds were able to score five unanswered and come back. Now, the competition, and this is me coping, the competition has not been particularly strong. The Royals have been in there. The Rockies have been in there. But the Braves are supposed to be a good team. Like Jeremy said, they're running away with the NL East. They were up 5 nothing on the Reds tonight. They end up losing 11-10. It's frustrating. It's frustrating because, like I said, the Reds are having – the same, the, they're having more success than the Cubs are right now. And it feels like the Cubs should have more to show for having a really good two weeks. And they don't because the Reds have just refused to lose. So it's frustrating. And all I can do is hope that they're not real at all. And they're peaking at the wrong time. That's all I can do. Right. You know, the, I agree with you around, they have played some poor teams in the stretch and I do, I don't, I don't think, I mean, I do think they're going to kind of come down to earth a little bit, but yeah, I mean, tonight, you know, as you mentioned, the Braves were up five, nothing. They had a very young pitcher on the mound, uh, a 20 year old, you know, we had the first ever battle between two guys born in the year 2002 or later oh, tonight. So how about that one today with Ellie Dizia Cruz and the uh, Braves pitcher, AJ Smith Chauver. But uh, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's not fun for everybody else, you know, when I, it's fun for, I mean, excuse me, it's not fun for Cubs fans. It's fun for everybody else watching the Reds, I guess, because they are an exciting team. We talked about it a couple weeks ago and, and Randall, you were very down on them. You, you were dismissive and you, 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 you didn't burn into it at all. And I, you see all the highlights you see tonight, they had a sellout crowd. Uh, they're going to have a sellout crowd tomorrow night after earlier this year, having the lowest uh, capacity of a game ever. So that's good for the city of Cincinnati. But, uh, yeah, they look to be an exciting, fun team and a young team. So hopefully we'll see where this goes. But they're going to be a force to deal with in the future, I imagine. 
It's annoying, and I don't like it. And, of course, Jeff Passan, who's a very respectful individual, he goes, Reds fans deserve this. What a night. Jeff, I got a list of shit that Reds fans deserve, and success is not on that list. Fight me. No, don't actually fight me. You it's probably actual shit. Probably, yeah. Don't actually <laughs> fight me, Jeff. You have more followers than I do. The Reds have certainly become the darling in the National League uh, outside of Chicago, right? The the national baseball media have really adopted them. I think equally surprising in the National League West is Arizona continues its very hot start to the season. They're 16 games over 500. They're cruising in the National League West. The Giants, who just reeled off like 11 straight wins, are the second place team. That means the Dodgers are third and the Padres are fourth. That is not how people wrote this up at the start of the season. They're all within a couple of games of each other, except San Diego's nine and a half back. But up to this point, the National League West has been very, very surprising. You know, it's very funny that that Padres team is as, relatively speaking, as bad as they are. Just the combination of the money spent the moves made, the names you have on that roster, all to be in fourth place in that division and not even above 500. It's very funny. I'm not necessarily wishing them failure, but it is very funny to see the team that they've signed, Fernando Tatis Jr. to a huge extension. They traded for Juan Soto. They've they threw all the money that they did at Xander Bogarts, and the, the, the team is not as good as the sum of its parts. And that's very funny to me because that's a team that, uh, I think believes themselves to be a lot better maybe than they've turned out to be. They, you know, put certain things on the scoreboard, certain players are in town, certain members of their fan base have recorded rap videos and the less said about that, the better. It's just very funny to see all of that kind of amount to nothing so far. I don't think they're as bad as they have been. I think they will be better, but it's still funny. They, I mean, if you want to talk about, you know, multiple teams that have kind of won the off season or whatever, obviously That's the right. Mets, the Padres, I mean, the Phillies are struggling a little bit. Uh, but yeah, you talk about the Padres. They're the one team there. I mean, the the Dodgers are doing okay. They're not great, right? But they 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 weren't really expected to be as great as they were coming into the season as Pastors because it's kind of a different roster. They lost some players, but I don't think anybody expected the Diamondbacks and the Giants to be taking this league. But the Padres, they're the ones that really underperforming. Uh, people thought they could take the division this year because they might have a better team than the Dodgers this year, and they spent all that money. And you go back, you look at since A.J. Preller took over, uh, which I believe was entering the 2015 season. I think it was the end of the 2014 season. Not not even getting into like all the off the field things with A.J. Preller being suspended and fined and multiple issues he's had. Uh, they're, they've had two winning seasons in the, that entire time. And one of those winning seasons was the 2020 season, which was only 60 games. So the only other winning season that he's had was last year. They won 89 games. They didn't even win 90 games. They haven't won 90 games under AJ Preller. It's been almost a decade. And that's it. And right now they're struggling under 500. Do I think they're going to finish the season under 500? No. Did I think they were going to finish the season under 500 in 2021? No. And they did. They did finish under 20. And, and he went out and he, when he got hired in 2015, they went out and they spent, a, he trade, they had all, Jet had built up, right? Their farm system. He basically traded everybody out, brought in, spent a ton of money, brought in James Shields, brought in Justin Upton, brought in all these things. They struggled. They struggled. They didn't win. They didn't win ball games. And then he redid it all again, ended up building their farm system. And for the most part, they were struggling again. Uh, so I don't know. Like after 10 years, for me, if you have a guy who hasn't won 90 games in 10 years, I've won all the money they spent. There might be some issues there. I, I would not be like AJ Preller is my guy. Sometimes I think he's just making moves for the sake of making moves. That's not working this year at least, but a long way to go. Uh, over in the American League, Tampa Bay has been the uh, hot story all season. They've got the best record there. Uh, other teams have been playing 
well, like uh, the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, who are right now in a playoff spot. But I mention them because this is a team that the next two or three weeks could be very interesting in terms of their long-term plans here. If this team stays competitive, they will be adding, and they're going to try and make a playoff push. If they fall off in the next two or three weeks, does a guy like Otani go on the move? So there's a number of teams, the National League and the American League, that the next two or three weeks will really determine whether they are buyers and sellers, and that's going to change the landscape for these other teams, even ones that are currently not playoff bound. Like the Phillies are two and a half out of a wild card slot. That's a team that is, I don't think is going to be selling. They will be adding as they move into July and towards August. So what these other fringe teams do, that domino effect is getting ready to roll. And I think that's one of the more fun things that picks up as you get into the next month of Major League Baseball. Yeah, it's make or break time for a lot of teams. And boy, Otani on the market. We've had big names go on the, the trade block at the deadline before. I think Otani would probably be the biggest name to ever go on the trade block. And all of the people out there who make their bones on writing fake trade proposals, they are salivating. MLB Network already put one up there today where it would send Otani, Rendon, and I think another pitcher, Davinsky, to the Mets. And the for in exchange for a, a list, literally, it filled up the entire chart of prospects. And that's awful. It's shitty television. And that's what MLBN thrives on for the most part. But the people who write those trade proposals, they are salivating because I don't think we've ever quite had a name like Shohei Otani traded at the deadline. And maybe that means that we're not going to see Otani traded at the deadline just because teams can't agree on what do you give up for a half season of a player like that, um, especially if you don't necessarily have him signed to an extension. So I think that could be a big stumbling block. But yeah, it, it's a very, very unique trade deadline coming up where there are is one big name that could be out there and then maybe a lot of smaller names. And that's always hard to figure. And speaking about Anaheim, tonight at Coors Field, just down the street here for me, Back-to-back home runs from Otani and Trout. Then you get to the bottom of the eighth inning, and the Anaheim bullpen just totally coughs it up. A four spot for the Rockies. They've got a three-run lead now going into the ninth. So uh, it feels like time and time again you see that. Record-setting numbers or rare stats from Otani and Trout followed by a bullpen disaster or no other offense, and Anaheim ends up losing the ball game. And uh, look, this one's not over. The Rockies' bullpen's a mess, but it looks like Anaheim blew this one again tonight. In baseball parlance, there's actually a word for that now. It's called a tungsten arm O'Doyle. Look it up if you don't necessarily know what that means. Uh, But hey, uh, the Angels got Eduardo Escobar from the Mets, so maybe he'll help that bullpen, which would really be unique because he's an infielder. But I think that's really the first notable trade that we've seen this offseason, a major league player going for minor leaguers. And it's, like you said, still five, six weeks to the deadline. So that's not, I guess that is the first domino to fall. It probably weren't a whole lot of teams waiting on to, to see where Eduardo Escobar would go. But that's our first trade of this trade season is Eduardo Escobar goes to the Angels from the Mets in exchange for two minor league pitchers and cash. Right. And, uh, you know, as we talked about earlier and as you just mentioned you know we, we talked about with tom ricketts he said right now the cubs are buyers and this this time period coming up we, we don't know where it's going to go with a lot of teams but you talked about randall the fact that mlb network put up a graphic of otani going to the mets right well what just happened is the mets sold a, pro- a player to the angels it was the opposite way because the angels are actually kind of in this right now and the Mets are actually you know a little bit under 500 so it's a little weird to me that the they're they're kind of selling off a player like Otani uh just for TV obviously uh to a team that's 
the Mets are doing worse right now than the Angels are. Um, but yeah, you know, I I think that if we're we are if it does end up with Otani going, I I I I think it, I I agree with you in the terms of I think it would be too hard to value because I don't I, I just can't see the Angels trading a guy like that. It kind of reminds me of when all the rumors were when Bryce Harper was on the market a few years ago, and I just in Washington because they knew he was going to walk in here, but. How do you trade a guy like that? Like, how do you do it? How do you value it? I think he had one year left after that. It, it just, now you have a couple months. Like, nobody, I, I can't imagine anybody's really going to give you anything. That's what makes, I think last year Juan Soto was really the deal. Because that was just an insane deal. He had like three years left and the Padres traded all of these guys. Like, that's probably going to be the biggest, in terms of prospect depth, trade probably all. Because I just can't see anybody really giving up that much for Otani when he's probably going to walk at the end of the year, almost assuredly. So I, and I just don't see the angels trading him when they're not getting anything really in return back. So that's, I, that's, I just think that's why it's not going to line up. That's where I think the big hang up is going to be is I think two the two, two teams, whoever those two teams are, are just going to have too much trouble agreeing on what you give up for a half season of Otani, especially when you're not guaranteed more than that half season. Now, if there is somehow time to work out an extension in there, which you don't typically get mid season, you know, that's more an off season thing where you work out the extension before you finalize the trade. I think the teams are just going to have too much trouble agreeing on what you give up because the angels are going to want more. And the acquiring team is going to say, we're only getting it for a half season. You're not getting our entire farm system. So that's going to be, like you said, a big hang up in any potential trade. But um, honestly, I would look forward to seeing a team try because I would I would want to see what that return is for a half season of Otani. Well, I'm sure San Diego's going to try. We know. Oh yeah, they're going to try. He's out there. I just think you know you look at the end of the day, like even though yeah he's going to walk at the end at the season, you're still going to be known as the guy who traded Shohei Otani. Everybody's going to look at that in the history book. So in order to be the guy who traded Shohei Otani, you have to get something back. And I just don't know who's going to want give up something back for a guy who's going to walk in two months. That's mm-hmm. it's, that's the hard part of the deal, Tori. And I think a complicated ownership situation, too, in Southern California makes it a little stranger. There was all those reports, oh, the team's going to be sold, and then maybe not so. And now they are competitive for the first time in nearly a decade. You figure they'll be more aggressive in adding versus giving up someone like Otani. Um, but that's what the next month of Major League Baseball is really going to lay out here. A couple weeks until the All-Star break, then a couple of weeks until the trade deadline, and then it really gets fun into August and September. But I think collectively, like the vibe coming out of this podcast as the Cubs go out to London is we're just so happy this team's playing good competitive baseball again and the storyline is hey it looks like this team is going to be buyers they got to keep it rolling though as they go on and take on the Cardinals well Jeremy you were talking about big hang-ups a couple of minutes ago uh, Randall J Sanders is hung up over a few things and if you have listened to this podcast with Randall if you follow him on Twitter you know from time to time Randall can get a little frustrated Uh, perhaps with people from Missouri, people from Wisconsin, people who are arbiters on the field at Major League Baseball games. These types of folks tend to really irritate Randall. Um, Randall's also really particular about jerseys. And Major League Baseball and Nike continues to roll out these City Connect jerseys. Randall, I saw Pittsburgh was the latest team to roll out a jersey. I looked at it and I said, good Lord, that's the best they could do for the Pirates? I assume you're a little disappointed with what the Pirates got to in this yellow jersey that says PGH across the chest. It is. It's disappointing. And yeah, I am a jersey person. I'm very particular about my jerseys. 
you know, I don't want to say, oh, the City Connect jerseys were better in 2021 because they weren't. We all know I'm not really a big fan of the, the Cubs City Connect jerseys. But unfortunately, this is the last City Connect jersey we will see revealed this season. This is the the conclusion of the 2023 slate. If you haven't seen these Pirates jerseys, like Ronan said, they are yellow. There's a little sublimated pattern, repeating symbols on the jersey, but it just says PGH across the jersey. They're worn with black pants, which fine. The Pirates have plenty of history wearing a yellow jersey over black pants, but whatever the City Connect jerseys were when they started, they are at this point nothing more than monotone jerseys with a city abbreviation slapped across the chest. The Cincinnati jerseys are black. The damn team is called the Reds. And the jerseys are predominantly black with red trim. And they just say <laughs> sin, C-I-N. You know, I don't want to call them sinners, though. I'm not, not going to call them sinners, the bastards, across the chest. It, it just feels like whatever the City Connect jersey program started as, it has been reduced to let's just throw a monoturn jersey out there with uh, a city abbreviation slapped across the chest. And that's disappointing. Because I think there's a lot of potential in a series of jerseys meant to represent a city or, in the case of the D-backs, a, a whole region. And for the most part, the jerseys have been just underwhelming mm -hmm. or in the case of Cincinnati and Pittsburgh, just flat, disappointing and kind of ugly. And I think that's unfortunate. And I think when Nike took over the jerseys from Majestic, there was some consternation. What are they going to do? You know, this isn't catastrophic. They're not replacing anyone's primary jerseys, but they're still part of what has to be accounted for. You have this four plus one rule where you're only allowed to have four base jerseys and then a, a city connect. And it's just disappointing. I think there's a lot of potential in this program. And I don't think any of that potential has really been realized. And it just pisses me off that the Diamondbacks of all teams have the one city connect jersey that I think really plays. So it's just disappointing. There are rumors, and we all know what I think are rumors, that some of the teams are going to get to re-roll I guess is the word for it next season. Supposedly the Cubs might be on that list because it's, it'll have been three years since 2021 when they got theirs. I hope that's the case. There's a lot of potential in a Cubs Jersey that's meant to represent the city of Chicago or parts of the city of Chicago. You do have two teams here. I'm told it's just disappointing. I think, I think a lot of them could be a lot better and it's just disappointing to see them kind of reduced to this at this point. So I'm glad we're done with them for this year. And I hope that if teams do get to re-roll, I hope they come out better. I'll be ready for a new look for the Cubs. I mean, I want to be very clear. I would prefer if the Cubs had two jerseys. Every game at Wrigley Field, they wore the home whites with the blue pinstripes, the gray Chicago top on the road. That's all I need. That's all I want. But they like selling these jerseys. Uh, I will say, though, and we talked about this a couple months ago on here, it is the team on the south side, I think, that has the best City Connect jersey. It is the Chicago White Sox. The font the south side across the chest, the color scheme, it fits the aesthetic of that organization better than any of the other ones that I've seen. And that stinks. I don't want the White Sox to have the cool jerseys in town. Uh, I love the Cubs regular jerseys, but the City Connect was a huge miss. It was a huge miss. It looks like something you get off the rack at Coles or Marshalls. You know, you've got a chance to, even if you're not making a jersey to represent the city of Chicago, because again, you don't want to be a Chicago jersey for the Cubs and then just a South side jersey for the White Sox. I can get where there would be some consternation with that. But even if you're just trying to do North side or Wrigleyville or Wrigley Field itself, you can do so much better than this mono Navy jersey that says Wrigleyville across the chest. The hat is the only good thing to come out of the Cubs City Connects jersey. It, it's just disappointing. And again, I do hope they get the opportunity to do better next year. And Ronan, you said, you know, the about selling jerseys. That's what these are. It's it's a, a, a program to goose jersey sales. And I'm just wondering, has it achieved that goal? Is it worth it? And, you know, if they sell 
a million of these, then yes, it's worth it. But it's the tail wagging the dog in a sense. And I'm ultimately just not a fan of it. Well, I, I bet it's worth it just because I bet more people buy extra an extra jersey that they would have that they had they not had uh, uh, put these out. Uh, but I, I, I agree with you. I, I think they're not great. I don't like wearing them. They're they're Now they're showing up again, once again, on Friday home games. I thought that, you know, we were over that because we hadn't seen them the first two months of the season, but no, it's coming back uh, uh, this year. I will note though, that you mentioned that White Sox one, uh, you know, if anybody here watches uh, or out there listening, watches uh, the bear, uh, you know, the show that's all about Chicago porn, they had a little White Sox, uh, 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 City Connect uh, pennant hanging up in the office in the episode two of the second season. I just saw, it and I was like, "Oh, they got they went with the City Connect over there." That was pretty interesting for a pennant. But yeah, those are I, I agree with you. I think they fit their kind of team. It fits their kind of identity. The White Sox City Connect in the in a way that the Cubs don't. It doesn't really fit. It looks so bland. It looks so. It's just it's just out of place. Like. I, you can maybe try to argue that it was kind of like maybe like a seventies feel to it or like whatever, but it's, it just looks, I, I hate monotone jerseys. I have always hated that. I hate when the pants and the tops match. It's just a mess to me, but I don't like them at all. And I'm not a guy who hates third Jersey. I just don't like these. They're not good. Jeremy. I, I agree completely. I think even the disappointing Cubs city connect jerseys could be made to look so much better if you wore them with pinstripe pants or even just flat white pants, but no, can't do that. You got to be mono Navy the, the whole way. It's, it's just, it's just not a good look. I don't like it. You can do better. Right. I mean, you, if you, if you did them kind of with maybe even the pants that uh, like the Cubs wore on the road in the eighties, you know, just kind of white pants with the stripe, couple stripes on it. Like that might look better to me. It would look uh, worlds better. Yeah. All right, well, let's bring it home with this. Our buddies at Cubs Weather have the ability to do international forecasts. The Cubs are in London this weekend. Uh, one other note on that stadium there, and this is a pretty big staple across Europe in soccer stadiums. They do a, a real nice job shading the fans, right? The seats get a lot of shade there compared to major league parks here in uh, the U.S. But what does that mean for weather? The field, of course, is exposed there. It is not a domed stadium the Cubs are going to be playing in in London. Well, as always, we're uh, very excited to have weather provided to us by at Cubs Weather and by at Alexander Hall, two accounts you should always be following for all of your Cubs weather needs. Alexander writes for us, and he was very excited uh, when uh, he realized this was uh, Cubs Weather's first ever international forecast for the Cubs. So the series vibe is grab a pint and some chips, lads. It's going to be a right proper weekend. It is sunshine and a baseball match, isn't it? So Alexander, of course, creative individual that he is, had fun writing this one for us. The Saturday game, that's a 1.10 p.m. Uh, I'm sorry, it's a 12.10 p.m. Central Time game. Uh, the temperature in London for the ballgame will be 83 degrees Fahrenheit. That's 28 Celsius. It'll be partly cloudy and light winds. And then the Sunday game, which is a 9.10 a.m. Central Time start, it'll be a little bit cooler. Starting the game at 78 degrees Fahrenheit, that's 26 Celsius. Warming to the same as Saturday, 83 Fahrenheit, 28 Celsius. And again, sunshine and light winds. So it sounds like with the design of the stadium, the winds are not going to be a huge factor. And Ronan, you mentioned shading the fans. I got plenty of shade for Cardinals fans. You don't need to go all the way to Europe for that. 
Uh, but that is the first ever on our airwaves and first ever Cubs weather international forecast. So again, follow that account at Cubs weather run by three wonderful individuals. That's Alexander, Colin, and Andrew. You should be following all of them, especially as the Cubs go to these exotic places. So you can know what the weather conditions will be, but it sounds like it'll be a, a really pleasant weekend across the pond. That's what they call the Atlantic ocean Ronan, the pond. Uh, it sounds like it'll be a really pleasant weekend across the pond for the pair of games in London. Well, I'm glad this Cubs team gets to fly across the ocean, yes. uh, unlike that team back in the 1890s. Uh, Atlantic Ocean has been in the news here over the last a week. A little so too much, yeah. I, I don't need the Cubs in boats out there trying to get across the uh, the big ocean there. Yeah, I agree with you. I We were reading about that, uh, as you mentioned, in the 1880s, late 80s, how they're going all across transatlantic uh, ships, and uh, we don't need that. We don't need with what's going on. Yeah, you got orca whales uprising. You got yeah. Uh, yeah. submersibles dealing with submersible issues. Good time to not be on the ocean. I agree. All right, let's end with one fun question here as the Cubs are in London. And Randall's going to interrupt me before that. What do you got? Yeah, I just want to toss a name out here. We're talking about the Cubs' need offense. Jonathan Perlaza hit his eighth home run for the Iowa Cubs tonight, a walk-off home run. That's the best kind of home run. He is OPSing 935 coming into play for the Iowa Cubs tonight. Defensively, he's probably a little limited, but you need a DH, and he can do that with a plumb. That's a name to keep an eye on uh, as the Cubs go through the stretch here. So Jonathan Perlaza, that's like Jonathan, but with a Y, as in, yes, he should be up. So that's a name to keep an eye on down the stretch here for that DH spot. Yeah, uh, lots more names down on the farm that we'll be talking about over the next few weeks. Uh, but again, let's end on this front here. So in our lifetime, we have seen the Cubs play regular season games in places like Tokyo. We've seen the Cubs play regular season games in Puerto Rico. We're now going to get a chance to see the Cubs play in Europe for the first time. Which country will host the next international Cubs game. And I'm not talking about Canada if the Cubs are in Toronto. So taking them out of the equation, which country will host the next Cubs international game after this one? You know, I'm going to stick in Europe. I would love to see the Cubs play maybe the Dominican, but I think that'll be kind of the next to roll out. They're not going to want to repeat the Cubs. But I think eventually you're going to see a game staged in maybe Italy, maybe somewhere else in, in Europe. Um, where baseball is kind of a burgeoning program, maybe Spain. I think those would be great. So I'm going to say, you know, Italy, Spain, somewhere in the Mediterranean there for the next Cubs international game. Uh, I'm I, I I'm kind of almost of two minds of this uh, for two different places, but I'm I'm trying to think of where uh, it will be. Uh, which one I want to go to more. I'm going to, I'm going to say, I'll, I'll, I'll say Mexico. I think it'll be Mexico for counting Mexico. I think, you know, sure. I, to be honest, I wouldn't be shocked at some point they end up putting a major league baseball team down in Mexico, uh, mm -hmm. you know, for the next decade or so. Uh, my other thought was possibly Australia. I, I think eventually they'll go back to Australia, put some major league games there, but I don't know if the Cubs would be a team that would be selected to go there, but uh, I do think there will be major league games back in Australia, not too in the not too distant future. I, I think they're going to continue to roll this out. We'll see the NFL moving into Germany in the next year. Maybe Major League Baseball looks that route. Of course, I'd love to see the Cubs play in Ireland at some point. Maybe that happens. But I'll just throw a country out that we have not mentioned here. South Korea will mm. be the next place the Chicago Cubs will play an international baseball game in. Yeah, you know, I think that's a really great guess. And the only reason I, you know, maybe didn't come to mind for me is just because I think that that'll be one of the kind of the next two they roll out. And I think the Cubs, by virtue of playing in London, will kind of leapfrog that part of the cycle. But that's a that's a great choice as well, playing a game in South Korea. We saw the crowds there for the World Baseball Classic. I think that would be just an insane atmosphere. 
And, you know, as long as it doesn't disrupt a good season, I would love to see the Cubs be a part of that. So I think the Cubs are lucky to be one of these flagship franchises that all things being considered will always kind of be in the lottery to play in these international games. Or, you know, the Cubs can go get Otani and then they get invited out to Japan. And that's Works for me. they got to say it's been a while since they played in Japan. So bring uh, bring Kosuke back out for a first pitch. And uh, it sounds like a perfect time over in Japan. But we'll see here. I'm looking forward to it. Cubs, Cardinals in London this weekend. Uh, uh, get your fish and chips, Randall. Get a couple of pints and let's sweep away those Cardinals uh, on the other half of the world. It sounds pretty fun. Works for me. Get it done. All right, we'll be back next week. We'll get something in here before that 4th of July holiday, and we'll check in on this Cubs international trip. Until next time, we'll see ya.